Welcome back to Sports Crunch with D-Crom, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host, David Cromelo, and it's hard to believe, but the 2017 NFL season has already entered the top of the stretch, and the playoff picture became even more interesting given the results of Week 13. And with many consequential matchups looming ahead this week, the picture could get even more fascinating. And to help us break it all down, it is a pleasure to welcome back yet again our good friend Hal Bent, NFL and Patriots writer for Cover32.com, MusketFire.com, and Scout Media. How's it going, Hal? I'm doing great, David. How are you? I'm ready for this amazing final quarter of the 2017 NFL season. Should be very interesting. It certainly should. So much going on on the field, off the field, and... You know, uh, like you had alluded to, this is going to be a great finish to the season in the AFC and the NFC with so many teams in the playoff picture and battling for position down the stretch. Oh, absolutely. And as I alluded to in, in our intro, uh, the results of Week 13 uh, gave us an even more complex playoff picture. And what were your big takeaways from those results of Week 13? So from uh, Week 13, you know, Jeez, when you're ready to count out New Orleans, they come storming back. That is a scary, scary offense there. Um, teams are positioning themselves as the teams nobody wants to play in the playoffs. And I'm going to circle Baltimore as usual and Seattle as usual. Those two teams are looking scary again. And playoff teams that are got a little couple of chinks in the armor, maybe. The Eagles looked human. Carolina, Tennessee, uh, some teams that are looking a little rough heading down this uh, quarter stretch. So those results um, shaping up for a fantastic finish, it looks like. Yes, indeed. And you mentioned the Seahawks, and I completely agree. Russell Wilson is playing out of his mind this year. Like, he accounts for like 78 to 82% of that offense week in and week out. And how much he has developed over his entire career up to this point is just incredible. He has proved a lot of doubters wrong, and he continues to prove a lot of doubters wrong by playing like a bona fide franchise quarterback. Uh, do you think Russell Wilson uh, is playing himself into the MVP conversation? Uh, he's not playing himself. He has played himself into that conversation. Um, 15 fourth quarter touchdowns this season. Talk about Mr. Clutch. And he, like you alluded to, he is carrying that team on his back. There's an inconsistent running game. The defense is in and out. You know, so many injuries in that secondary taking down the Legion of Boom. And he still finds a way to get it done week in, week out with his arm, with his legs. He is definitely catapulting himself right into that MVP conversation. He most certainly is. And do you see the Seahawks sneaking by the Rams to win the NFC West? It's tough. I, you know, I'm still giving the Rams the edge coming down the stretch here. Um, I'd like to say Seattle has a chance, but so many injuries, you know, it's going to come down to that week 15 matchup against the Rams for basically winner take all, I think, on December 17th. I completely agree, but you shouldn't count Seattle out because given how that uh, secondary without Richard Sherman, Cam Chancellor, was able to shut down that Eagles aerial attack. And plus, you got to understand the Seahawks, the, the heartbeat of their defense is no longer the secondary. It is their front with Michael Bennett and you got Frank Clark and 
Bobby Wagner playing like a defensive MVP and KJ Wright, also one of the most underrated linebackers in the game. That front seven is picking up this defense and not making them fall off a cliff. Exactly. And I'll throw one more name in there of somebody who has switched coasts and has turned his career around this year is Sheldon Richardson, who looked like a lost cause last year. And he was a beast in the middle of that defensive line for Seattle and was just driving past offensive linemen, driving them into the backfield and making plays all over the place. He jumped off the screen for me. Yes, and uh, that defensive front seven plus Russell Wilson is exactly why I think it's going to be a very close race in the NFC West and that uh, matchup between the Rams and Seahawks at uh, Century League Field in Week 15 could be the deciding factor and it's going to be a very close game. So do not count the Seahawks out of that race by any means. But when you look at the NFC with the Eagles uh, being exposed by the Seahawks last week, the race for home field advantage is wide open. This is one of the more wide open races for a number one playoff seed that I can remember. Uh, I know I, I I can say that almost any any year in recent years, but for some reason this year it appears like it's anybody's uh, uh, seed to grab. So, in your opinion, who is the favorite for the NFC's number one playoff seed? Is it the Eagles? Is it the Vikings? Is it the Saints? Is it the Rams? Or or the Seahawks if they leapfrog the Rams could enter the conversation there. Uh, I'm going to go with the Vikings. I think they have the easiest stretch after this week. They've got a tough game in Carolina, which I'm sure we'll get to in detail. But after that, they get the Bengals at home on the road with the Packers, who may or may not still be in the playoff race, even if Aaron Rodgers is back. And then closing at home against the Bears gives them a good advantage right there to cruise in. So Minnesota, they could have home field advantage all the way through the Super Bowl. And that would be the first time in NFL history that such a thing happened. Uh, a, a team hosting uh, home field advantage in the divisional playoffs, conference championship, and Super Bowl. It could happen, folks. And these Minnesota Vikings are just the team, in my opinion, to make it happen. With that special defense on those playmakers on offense, they could be the most balanced team in the National Football League. And I think if they were to represent the NFC in the Super Bowl, uh, aside from the fact they're playing at home, the tail on that team could probably give the Patriots a big, big test. Patriots or the Steelers. Is, yeah. You've got two of them coming out of the uh, AFC right now, but not a lot more behind them that look like legitimate threats to those two teams still. Uh, that That is indeed correct, but uh, the Vikings are a very dangerous team that have to be taken super seriously, folks. They are for real. And, uh, but there are some teams that are, that might be down, but far from out. And I think one of these four teams could surprise and wind up in the playoffs. And which one of them would you be the most shocked by if they made the playoffs? Would it be the Cowboys? Would it be the Packers, the Lions, or the Bills? I'd say the most shocking would have to be the Lions. You know, Matthew Stafford is a little dinged up right now. They have had so many up and down games week after week it's you know a winning streak a losing streak another winning streak another losing streak um you know they've got to finish up against the packers in green bay that's going to be tough um i just don't see that team having the horses to to run the table like they would have to do in order to make it to the playoffs 
Yes, and I would say the most shocking to me would be the Bills, given the fact that they have to play the Patriots again, but they also have the Dolphins twice, so that gives them somewhat of an opportunity, but I don't think we should sleep on the Packers or Cowboys either. The Packers, uh, they have the Browns this week, and Aaron Rodgers might come back after that, and the Cowboys seem to find their groove last week, and they play uh, the New York Giants on the road at that dumpster fire this week and play against the Raiders uh, in week 15, which should be a competitive game. But I think the Cowboys, you could argue they're even better than the Raiders. So there's still hope for both of those teams. What do you think? Oh, definitely. I'm not counting. Uh, Dallas, you know, last week the offensive line was top notch. And shockingly, they, blew, you know, had a blowout win over the, the Raider, uh, Redskins. So when that team is together and you're going to add Ezekiel Elliott into that mix at the end of the year. That is a team to keep your eyes on down the stretch. Green Bay, like you said, Aaron Rodgers as well. Um, the Bills, you know, if Tyrod Taylor's dinged up, you know, you don't believe in Nathan Peterman, you know, to, to lead the Bills to the playoffs. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't believe in Nathan Peterman either, Hal. But let's talk about uh, this week's uh, top-notch matchup, starting with the battle in Atlanta on Thursday night, where the New Orleans Saints, having uh, put uh, a stranglehold on the NFC South with that dominating win over the Panthers last week, could put the NFC South in a lockbox, dare I say, by beating the Falcons, who are in need of a win to keep those playoff hopes alive as they are now one game behind Seattle for that sixth and final NFC playoff spot. And in this game, the Falcons get a key contributor back who wasn't available when they faced the Vikings, and that is cornerback Desmond Trufant. And how does Desmond Trufant's presence in this game help give the Falcons a better chance to win? Well, I mean, just in the fact that they have somebody that can match up with Michael Thomas, who has just quietly continued to have another great season uh, for New Orleans. I think he's up to 875 yards receiving. You don't hear about him. He's overshadowed by that dynamic duo at running back, but he keeps piling up the yards and the big catches. And if Atlanta is going to have a chance to sneak into the playoffs, they're probably going to have to beat the Saints at least once in their two matchups here in the final four games of the season. And making the Saints a little more one-dimensional is one way to slow them down. And, and with Des Trufant, he's capable of doing that in one-on-one -on -one coverage. He most certainly is. And But for the Falcons to win this game, their defense actually overachieved, in my opinion, against the Vikings because I thought uh, Case Keenum and Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen would eat them up and uh, score points galore on them. But they held the Vikings to 14 points. It's just that the Vikings defense was even better and uh, didn't let the Falcons into the end zone. And that made the difference in that game. So in this game, it's apparent that the Falcons will have to move the ball more effectively. And how can they do so uh, against the Saints defense in a better way than they did against the Vikings? Well, I'm going to go back to my tried and true. I feel like I say this every other week on here, but get the ball to Julio Jones. They, again, got into the game, and, and Matt Ryan, bless his soul, will look for the open receiver, but sometimes you just have to get the ball in the hands of your best player and let him make plays. Um, two receptions for 24 yards last week, that's why Atlanta only scored nine points. 
six targets overall to Jones, it, it just doesn't work that way. The offense has to run through your best player. And if the Falcons aren't feeding Julio Jones, they're not going to score enough points. Yeah, you have to get the ball to Julio. I just am not sure why they couldn't figure out ways to scheme him open, even against Xavier Rhodes, who's playing out of his mind this year. And uh, when looking at this game, what matchup do you think will decide this game? It's it's going to come down to if Atlanta's front seven can slow down that two-headed monster that's that's in New Orleans of Alvin Kamara and Mark Ingram because those two are just running over everyone. And, you know, this is a game where you're going to have to see somebody like Deion Jones in the middle of that defense for Atlanta going sideline to sideline all day long making the tackles, not missing tackles, keeping Kamara in front of him. Um, Devondre Campbell, who is excellent in covering running backs out of the backfield, is going to have to have a huge game as well for Atlanta to try to slow down Kamara in the receiving game because he's been just torching teams for these past few weeks. Alvin Kamara most certainly has been putting on a show. He is, without question, the 2017 Offensive Rookie of the Year. He just has added an entirely new dimension to that Saints offense. Said, heck, uh, he and Mark Ingram are arguably the centerpiece of that offense, and it's amazing that Drew Brees is almost uh, uh, kind of like an afterthought. It, it is, and, and, you know, and this is what, you know, Drew Brees has been, you know, he's probably got a huge smile on his face every day walking in on Sunday morning knowing that he doesn't have that burden of carrying that offense, that he has a solid defense there, and, you know, he's got the running backs to take the pressure off of him, and when he has needed to step up in games, he has been able to do that for the most part, um, but having those running backs, you know, it's it's what Dan Marino's been saying for 25 years that, that he wished he had in Miami. Indeed, and who do you think wins on Thursday night, the Saints or the Falcons? I'm going with the Saints. I... You know, if, especially if Marshawn Lattimore, their, their great cornerback, is back as well, it's going to be a get-your-popcorn matchup if he's up on Julio Jones. So uh, Saints 27, Falcons 23. I have the Saints winning as well. I think, as I said earlier, they put an ironclad lockbox on the NFC South race with a win against the Falcons on Thursday night, and that will also deliver a crushing blow to the Falcons' uh, playoff hopes. And... Uh, let's move on to one of the three big Sunday matchups, and it is the Seahawks and Russell Wilson on fire after that dominating win over the Eagles, traveling to Duval to take on the Saxonville Jaguars and that amazing defense. And uh, we have been uh, blowing bubbles at Russell Wilson uh, throughout this program, and for good reason, but uh, against this Jaguars defense, how much will the Seahawks' inability to run the ball hurt their chances? Oh, it's, it's definitely just going to put more pressure on Wilson. And, and of course, every week we keep saying, I don't think he can handle it if they don't run the ball. They, if, you know, if the defense doesn't make stops and create turnovers for him, and yet he still seems to somehow find a way. But, but this defense for Jacksonville, that is a legitimate defense. They're strong against the pass. They're not quite as strong against the run, but they really don't need to be most weeks. And, you know, Seattle has been looking, I mean, it seems like every week there's a new running back back there that they're trying out there to try to find some kind of fit, some kind of spark. 
and it seems to be an ongoing process in Seattle. It it definitely is. But uh, Michael Davis uh, looked promising last week, and uh, I think they will uh, give him another shot in Jacksonville, although it's much easier said than done against this defense. But the, the Jaguars offense, uh, yes, uh, the Legion of Boom is decimated, but uh, they have their hands full with that Seahawks uh, rock-solid front seven, as we talked about earlier in the program. So if that Seahawks front seven successfully contains Leonard Fournette in the ground attack— how could the Jaguars hide Blake Bortles? Very simple. The same thing that they've been doing for the last six games, where they coincidentally have been 5-1 and one after they got beat by the Rams, is they're limiting Bortles' mistakes. All that they're asking him to do is just don't do anything stupid. Don't turn the ball over. Three turnovers in his last six games. Jaguars are winning five, to, five out of those six. That's all he has to do. You know, make the safe plays, get the field position under control, let your defense win the game for you. Uh, that uh, that definitely is their formula for success with Blake Bortles, but he's definitely going to have to make a lot of plays like he made last week against the Colts. Exactly. And, and for him, you know, looking at, you know, the, the basically Marquise Lee has been the guy but when that offense is at its best and when they need to get points in the red zone, look for Mercedes Lewis at tight end, the veteran. He's got that knack for coming down with the ball in the end zone. He should be looking for Lewis uh, when you need to get that extra four points and convert that field goal into a touchdown. That's what Bortles should be doing. Most definitely, as he has been doing this entire season. And what do you think will be the deciding factor in what should be a great game between these two teams? It's going to come down to the turnovers, you know, the team that doesn't make the mistakes in this case, that doesn't give the offense a short field is the team that's going to have that advantage. And, you know, I'm thinking this is going to be a close game. So just one turnover could swing this one way or the other. I agree. It's going to be a very close game. I'm thinking like 20 to 17. But the question is, who comes out on top? I've got the Jaguars 17 to 16 over the Seahawks and a squeaker. I'm going to have to disagree with you there. I think the, I still trust the Seahawks uh, defense to force a game-changing turnover even more than the Jaguars. And the Jaguars have been forcing plenty of turnovers all, all season. But uh, the Seahawks offensive line has drastically improved with the acquisition of Dwayne Brown. Like uh, without Dwayne Brown for pro football focus, Russell Wilson was the 30th most pressured quarterback in the league. Now with Trey Brown, he is the sixth least pressured quarterback in the league. And I think that offensive line of the Seahawks will keep the pass rush uh, at, at bay enough for Wilson to work his magic. And the Seahawks pass rush against by the Jaguars suspect pass blocking, forcing Blake Bortles into a key mistake. And the Seahawks come out on top 20 to 17. Wentz Goff won the first of hopefully many games between Jared Goff and Carson Wentz as the Eagles tried to avenge that defeat in Seattle by traveling to L.A. to face the Red Hot Rams. And only one game separates them in the win-loss column. And when I look at this game, both offenses have opportunities to exploit the weaknesses on each team's defense. And the Rams have had vulnerabilities in stopping the run this year. And thus, would it be wise for the Eagles to lean on the run game even more than they appeared to against Seattle? Or should they just cut Carson Wentz loose from the start? 
No, definitely run the ball. You've got to run the ball against the Rams. Um, you know, Alec Ogletree was injured last week. He had an elbow injury. His status is still going to be up in the air at this time as to whether he's going to play or not. And he's a key, if quiet, component on that Rams defense. And if Ogletree's not in the middle of that defense, or if he's playing at less than 100%, the Eagles have the horses in the backfield. Get out there. Keep Goff on the sidelines as much as possible and pound that ball if possible. And one of the main reasons why they're it's probably in the Eagles' best interest to keep Goff on the sidelines for as long as possible. I think the Eagles' defense uh, had some weaknesses exposed by the Seahawks because uh, Russell Wilson constantly attacked the middle of the field uh, with his tight ends and running backs. And now here comes Todd Gurley uh, into the Eagles' corner and... Uh, Todd Gurley has been a monster in the passing game this year. And is there seriously any linebacker or safety on the Eagles defense that could go toe-to-toe with Todd Gurley? I can't see any. No, no. They just, you know, that that front seven is really that front four. And, you know, once you get to that second level, you know, Nigel Braddon was, is a decent linebacker, but he's not a bone rattler. Um, Michael Kendricks, another good but not great linebacker. It's that front four that just keeps most teams from, you know, uh, being in a position to run the ball or get to that second level. So if if they're counting on, you know, those linebackers to win that game, it's going to be a, t- a tough performance for Philadelphia to try to slow that uh, running game down of the Rams. Uh, it, it's not uh, necessarily the Rams running game. It's getting Gurley out in space in the passing game. And I think uh, the Rams have a big edge there against those linebackers if they uh, scheme Gurley out in space, as I expect them to. Yeah, I mean, Gurley's one of those running backs that, you know, is able to to read those defenses, find those soft spots. If you're playing a zone against him, he has the uh, ability to run the route and get open if somebody's matched up on him, I mean, he's um, been a key component. I think he's second on the team in receiving right now um, as far as number of receptions and right up there with the yards as well. So Gurley is someone that is going to be tough for, uh, you know, probably Bradham is going to be the one that's tasked it for uh, the defense, but I don't see how Philadelphia is really going to contain him uh, if the Eagles, uh, if the Rams are smart enough to key him in that passing game as well. Most definitely. And looking at this game, I kind of see this as an elder, whoever has the ball last wins type of game. Do you? Oh, definitely. I mean, both teams, um, you know, the Eagles kind of took a little step back. There were penalties, there were turnovers, there were some strange coaching decisions going for it on fourth down when the field goal was there, not challenging that fumbled lateral um, that, you know, I kind of scratching my head and went, what Doug Peterson doing here? Um, but you know, the coaching staff can get better as well week to week and, and they should, they should straighten that out as well. I don't think the Rams played a great game last week on either side of the ball and their special team stepped up and really won that game for them. There was a blocked field goal. Um, there was some great punting. There was a, a big punt return as well by Farrow Cooper to, to set up the score at the end. So two really strong teams. And like you said, they've both got so many strengths on both sides of the ball. It could very much come down to who is, uh, who gets that ball with a minute 55 to go and puts that two minute drive together at the end. And who would you trust more at this point with the game on the line, Jared Goff or Carson Wentz? 
Or flip a coin, they're both great, I think. <laughs> uh, yeah, it is hard to tell because both of them are in their second season and both of them have made a quantum leap from their rookie year to this year. But if I had to pick, I would pick Wentz because he just has, as John Gruden says, that North Dakota toughness. Like uh, one play, he takes a vicious hit and the next play, he throws a 50 to 60 hour touchdown. Uh, that's, uh, that toughness is what makes Wentz very special. And that's why I would trust to more with the game on the line at this point. But uh, Jared Goff could uh, uh, make it a tie or pull in the lead this week, depending on what happens. Who do you have winning this super intriguing matchup? Uh, I'm picking the Rams to have the ball last, and they're going to pull it out by a field goal, 27-24. That's exactly what I think. I have the Rams winning 27-24, except okay. uh, I think the Eagles have the ball uh, last and pull within a field goal, but unable to recover the onside kick. A slightly different <laughs> scenario, but Rams 27, Eagles 24. And Sunday night, uh, the old division rivalry that never gets old. The Ravens, who you alluded to, who are playing red hot right now, traveling to Pittsburgh to face the Steelers. And and the Ravens, uh, what makes them uh, more dangerous at the moment is that their offense is starting to come along. And uh, they uh, scored 44 points against the Lions last week, although seven of those were on a pick six. But what do you think the Ravens did offensively that worked so well last week and how could they deliver a repeat performance against the Steelers? Well, one thing that's really helped them is the addition of Danny Woodhead. Danny Woodhead, um, takes pressure off the wide receivers because teams have to account for him in space underneath. And you saw the big game by Mike Wallace. You see that vertical passing attack. They're able to loosen up teams. And, and that's really playing into Joe Flacco's strength is, is launching that ball downfield. That's where he made his run uh, in 2012 was, you know, that, that great deep passing touch. And he seemed to have it back there. You know, if he can get Jeremy Macklin and Mike Wallace deep in the secondary, he's going to have some favorable matchups there to take advantage of. He sure will. It's going to be interesting to see if the Ravens can keep it up. And uh, both teams suffered serious injuries to key defenders. Obviously, last night, the Steelers lost Ryan Chazier for uh, God knows how long. That was one of the most vicious injuries I've ever seen. Oh. And my, Our hopes and prayers are with Ryan, and we hope he can make a full recovery and get back on the field as soon as possible. And the Ravens, they lost uh, shutdown cornerback Jimmy Smith for the season due to a torn Achilles. Which loss hurts their team more, Ryan Chazier or Jimmy Smith? I think the this week it's going to be Jimmy Smith, um, just because the Ravens really would have needed him to uh, match up with those Steelers wide receivers. Um, long term, however, if Chazier is out for the rest of the season, um, that's really going to hurt the Steelers because they desperately need him down the stretch and in the playoffs. So um, the Ravens, they have the experience, the defensive, the scheme around it. The Steelers, he's just such a vital part of that linebacking core, of that whole defense. And it's just a, it's a punch in the gut to that defense, which has played so well to lose Shazier. Most definitely. And who prevails on Sunday night? Well, I, I think the Steelers looked just sloppy enough um, last night that I'm going to have to go with the Ravens 20 to 16. And, um, you know, maybe Eric Weddle with a big interception because he has just been phenomenal this year again. And, um, you know, he's turning into that, taking over that Ed Reed role in the defense, which is what the Ravens have been looking for. And um, I got the Ravens 20 to 16 over the Steelers. 
I'm going with the Ravens as well. I think the loss of Ryan Chazier uh, is going to make the Steelers miss him in the run game. And with the way Alex Collins has been running the ball for the Ravens lately, I think he makes a big difference in this game. And he is hell-bent, ladies and gentlemen. NFL and New England Patriots writer for Cover32.com, MusketFire.com, and Scout Media. You can follow him on Twitter at HalBent01. And Hal, you know the trick before we uh, sign off here. We're headed into our rapid fire summit where we pick the rest of the games of the week, starting with the Packers traveling to Cleveland to face the Browns. And I'm sure we agree, Packers. Oh, yes, definitely. Packers, I think it'll make it a little bit closer. I think if, you know, um, Deshaun Kaiser can get a couple passes in the same area code as Josh Gordon, they could put up some points. But Packers 23, Browns 19. Uh, Colts and Bills, who do you got? I'm going to take the Bills in this one. Um, even, uh, you know, it's kind of iffy with Tyrod Taylor's health, but even if they have, you know, Peterman versus Brissett, ugh, I'll take the Bills 19 16 over the Colts. Yeah, I think that Bills defense will do just enough to win. The Vikings looking to stay in the NFC's driver's seat against the Panthers, who need a win to stay firmly within the playoff hunt. Uh, you know, looking at the Panthers, they do really, really well on offense against really bad defenses and not so much against good ones. So Vikings 27, Panthers 14. I have the Vikings in that game, although I think it's going to be a little bit closer than that. But I think the Vikings should win uh, another ho-hum matchup. The Bears against the Bengals. Yeah, um, you know, the Bears are going to take the um, kid wheels off of Mitchell Trubisky one of these weeks and let them throw more than 15 passes in a game. Uh, until they do, I'm taking the Bengals 20-16. to 16. I'm taking the Bengals as well. 49ers against the Texans. Who do you got there? Oh, I'm all in on Jimmy Garoppolo. I thought he looked great. Poised in the pocket, throwing strikes to his receivers. Good accuracy, no panic. He's throwing that deep to intermediate passing game. He looked fantastic. I think the 49ers found their franchise quarterback, and they take out the Texans 27-23. I think the 49ers found their franchise quarterback as well, and I wanted to go with the Texans, but you are swaying me to San Francisco, so (laughs) I remain undecided on that game at the moment, but uh, it is a coin flip game, but Garoppolo is better than Tom Savage, and that could very well make the difference. The Raiders and Chiefs for first place, arguably, in the AFC West. Who do you got? Well, I like seeing the resurgence of Marshawn Lynch. Um, the Chiefs, they should be getting Tom Baha Lee back. I don't know how much of a impact he will have, actually have on that game, although it was nice to see their offense come to life a little in Kansas City. I'm still taking the Raiders, 27-24. I think I'm going to take the Raiders as well because the Chiefs, how that game against the Jets ended with Marcus Peters making that stupid mistake by throwing that penalty flag into the stands. This Chiefs team is an absolute mess right now, and I just don't see any hint that they're going to get out of it. I like the Raiders as well. Lions and Buccaneers, who do you got? I got to pick one. Oh, jeez. Um, this should be a tie, but um, I thought Jameis Winston looked good coming back for the, the Bucks last week, but he can't solve all those problems. If Matthew Stafford's hand help is uh, able to grip a football, I'm going to take the Lions 16 to 13. I like the Lions to keep their playoff hopes alive as well. And another team in need to keep their playoff hopes alive, the Cowboys traveling to the Giants to take on that dumpster fire. And I think <laughs> we know who's going to win. I have the Cowboys. Do you? 
Well, you know, as much as I am excited that Eli Manning is back behind center for the Giants, I definitely have the Cowboys as well. Um, Sean Lee might be back. That'll be a huge boost for them as well. 24-19 Cowboys. The Titans against the Cardinals. This could be a trap game because the Cardinals beat the Jaguars, and I think the Jaguars are a better team than the Titans. Definitely. You know, the, the Cardinals are, you know, Feeling a little bit of pressure with Bruce Arians being up in the air for his status next year. They're really playing for their coach. They want him back. Um, despite that, I still think Derrick Henry is going to be able to do enough to carry the Titans barely over the Cardinals, 22-20. to 20. I will take the Titans as well because the Titans have found ways to win against uh competition like the Cardinals, like they did against the Texans last week. They will find a way to win this game, but whether they win the division or not remains to be seen. Uh, Jets and Broncos. Uh, I have the Jets winning. I don't want the Broncos to win another game. I want them to maximize their draft spot uh, headed into 2018. <laughs> That's why they keep starting Trevor Simeon, I think. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, the Jets, other than the first two weeks of the season, are – Five and five, and their losses have been set by seven points, three points, five points, five points, and eight points. Uh, the Jets look like they're for real. Uh, I'm taking the Jets 24-13 over the Broncos. Yeah, I agree. Todd Bowles deserves to be in consideration for Coach of the Year the way he's uh, coached up this uh, young and unproven roster. Uh, the Los Angeles Chargers, who are making a playoff push, host the Washington Redskins. Do you think they uh, stay Tied for first at the very least with a win on Sunday? I do. This Redskins team is beat up on both sides of the ball. The Chargers are surging. It's hard to believe this team was 0-4 at one point. Um, I've got the Chargers 22-16 to over the Redskins. And last but not least, on Monday Night Football next week, the New England Patriots, albeit minus Rob Gronkowski, who is suspended, and rightfully so, uh, traveled to Miami to take on the Dolphins coming off that... Uh, uh, butt whooping to the Broncos. Uh, who do you have here? Yeah, I, I, I think the Patriots are going to be a little extra motivation knowing that they don't have Gronkowski. Um, and like you said, rightfully so, that was an idiotic penalty. He deserved the suspension. I'm glad the NFL upheld that as well. Um, but, you know, you saw the fire. Tom Brady on the sideline getting into it with his offensive coordinator. The defense making a goal line stand against the Bills in the fourth quarter with nothing on the line, playing their hearts out. This team is invested right now. The Dolphins uh, aren't going to know what hit them. 31-17 Patriots. I like the Patriots by a similar margin as well. Thank you very much for joining us again, Hal. And that's all for today here on Sports Crunch with D. Crom. Be sure to check out the episode archive as well as an up-to-date blog of mine at sportscrunch.com. And remember, that is crunch with a K. And if you enjoy these podcast episodes, please consider leaving us an iTunes review and donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash sportscrunch so we can improve our iTunes ranking and afford to produce even more shows with more awesome guests. For Hale Bent, our producer Chris Broadhead, I'm David Cromwell saying so long, and of course, stay awesome.